Watch this. Space. Episode 10. Morlocks and Eloy and Scares. Oh my. Welcome to Watch This Space, where we jump out the airlock of what is into the vast universe of what could be, also known as sci-fi and speculative cinema. I'm Alan Williams, and hey, hey, Paul, where are you? I swear he was right here. I'm over here. Well, what happened to you? You look like you've been oh. through an Indiana Jones movie, and, and weren't you on the other side of the room? I just got back from the future. You're Marty McFly now? Not back to the future, back from the future. Oh, were you recording another episode of the Subs podcast? Oh, no. I was much further in the future than that. I got to the year 802,701 and met this girl named Weena, but she was kidnapped and I had to go underground to save her. Oh, that sounds like the plot of the time machine. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, that's right. This time, our episode, our episode is about the 1960 version of that H.G. Wells classic novel, The Time Machine. Let's start with a little trivia. A little trivia about the machine, because okay. it, the, the, picture, the time machine itself, that big prop that they used with the, the lever and the spinning disc – that was one of it's one of the most well-known and beloved props in film history. Yes. And but interestingly enough, the poor thing, it um, in the 1970s, MGM held a, uh, had an auction. They auctioned it off. The they auctioned the machine off. It, it sold. It was like between eight and ten thousand dollars. And the guy who bought it was a was the owner of a traveling show. Now at the time there was a film historian named Bob Burns who had tried to buy it at uh-huh. the auction, but he came up short, but then, but then only like five years later. So we're, we're, we're talking probably, yeah, we're, we're talking like still mid, a uh, mid, uh, mid seventies that Burns actually came, uh, heard that, wait, there's, there's a thrift shop that, that in Orange, California, that has the old time machine in it. <laughs> so Bob went over there, and and uh, Burns found it. It was the, that's it was it. The disc was in great shape, but the chair was missing. The yeah. pods, pods were broken. But he got um, he got home and brought it home with him. Called the called the director of the movie, uh, George Powell, and George gave. Bob the blueprints of the machine in order for Bob to restore it. Wow. And so, yeah, as of 1976, the machine was restored and it's been used off and on. Um, like I remember a picture of Carl Sagan sitting in it for cosmos. Um, Mike, uh, Mike Chidlov. We've, we've mentioned this movie before the wizard of speed and time. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, he used, he had it show up in in uh, the that film, and then there was of course a, 
a documentary on the making of the time machine that was called the journey back uh-huh. that was from 1993 that also featured uh, that, that also featured the time machine in it. So th- this is a classic. I mean, the, they, there have been remakes of the movie, um, you know, other versions, but none has had that, that classic Victorian feel like the time machine uh, from the 1960 movie. It's Absolutely. Amazing. I remember when Leonard and Sheldon uh, bought the bought the original. And um, no, wait, that didn't really happen. That was an episode of The Big Bang Theory. Oh, that's um, right. Yes. <laughs> but it, uh, yes, I mean, it is it is a classic. Oh, definitely. Um, and that so that's what always sticks in my head. The when, when was the first time you saw the time machine? Oh gosh, um, I would have been maybe ten or eleven years old, and uh, and it was it was like playing on on TV on uh, on a Sunday afternoon. Oh, um, nice. yeah, where they used to always have you know some sci-fi movies. They used to have this thing on uh, on City TV where they would have the not so great movies, and they would have like um, uh, you know like that's where you would see like um, the, you know they saved Santa Claus's brain or whatever. Um, and, uh, or, or you would get like, uh, uh, a couple of old, um, Abbott and Costello movies. And then after that, they would usually show some kind of sci-fi movie. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's where I first saw, uh, that version of the time machine. Um, I think I had read the book by then. Um, like the sort of abridged and, uh, an edited version from a classics illustrated book. And then, um, had read, uh, uh there was a, a comic book, uh, adaptation at the time as well that I had also read. So I was, I was pretty familiar with the story and, uh, to the point where it's like, I'm watching as like, Hey, this is the time machine. I got to watch this. Nice. Nice. How, how about you? Well, I think my first exposure was when my brother gave me, um, something it wasn't a classics illustrated, but it was an illustrated version of the time machine. It was almost like a graphic novel version. Okay, um, yeah. Like when I say classics illustrated, yeah. I, I'm, I'm actually doing that wrong um, okay. because that's that's like when they would do like the uh, wasn't quite Marvel. It wasn't quite Marvel, but similar uh, folks would would put them together. And they, these were. Uh, like the small little pocket books uh, that had, um, you know, a page of text and a, and a, and a comic and like a, a pan or a, a, an image um, with a caption. And, um, and so these were, this is how I read a lot of books back, back in the day. Like yeah. a lot of classics. This was, yeah, the, this version was sometime in the seventies and mm-hmm. it had the, it, it had kind of, I'm trying to think of what the art reminded me of. It reminded me of a lot of a lot of the other stuff I'd seen in illustrations for that time, like um the book um uh, Escape to Witch Mountain had uh illustrations in it that were that same oh, in that same, yeah, I remember in that that. same style. I remember yeah, having I, that book, uh, getting it from the scholastic book fair at school. Yeah. yeah. And my brother got that and uh the invisible man for me. Oh, nice. So I, I was, uh, so I remember reading that, and it, then about the same time, so I was about ten years old. The 
there, there was a version of the time machine that came on TV. Uh, it was, yeah, it was 1978. In that version, the time it set, it was set in like, well, it was set in modern times and the traveler went back to, it actually went back to the old West before he went forward in time. Mm. So that, that was a, that was a version. And that's, the, that's the one that had um, John Beck and Priscilla Barnes. Right. And I didn't, but I didn't see the 1960 version until I was probably 12 or 13. Okay. Um, it was one of, it was an, and the first time I saw it was on a huge screen. This was one of those midnight movies that I, that my, my uh, older brothers took my younger brother and me to. Uh huh. It, um, and this was at a theater. Um, the Fox Theater in Peoria was a single screen theater. It was a classic single screen theater, you know, with the, with that monstrous screen that you don't really see anymore unless you know, the yeah. closest thing you can get is, is like go to an IMAX theater. But this had that big, wide, beautiful screen. So I got to see it in all its, in all its glory as it, yes. um, as it was originally shown and originally meant to be shown. And by that point, I know it was after I, I know it was at least 1980 because I had already seen the black hole. Okay. Wiener is yeah. played by a vet who was also in the black hole. Oh, and that's, that's actually right. Where, yeah. I recognized her from the, from the black hole. I was like, wait, I know her. I know the one playing Wiener. She was Kate in the black hole. Oh my gosh. And, and that's, Yes, yeah, so this is the last time I will say the black hole. Okay. Yes. But, but yeah, the time the time machine in that 1978 version was kind of. Uh, yeah. It was. I'll give it this. They 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 tried to they used computers. They they, they tried to make it more computer and electronics based, but it just didn't cut it. No, no, didn't cut it without. Once I saw, once I saw that Victorian era version, I was hooked. Yeah, was it's hooked. a very different have, animal. Yeah, I have seen that movie probably, probably ten times. If I've seen it once, probably more like fifteen to twenty times. Yeah, it's just such a classic. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> One of uh yeah I mean it, again it's um to me again it it, it has some um you know what uh, uh some deviation from the uh, original story but I think mm-hmm. it really it really works you know it really um it, it captures sort of the 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 magic of it or the right yeah oh absolutely the thing about um, the thing about the movie okay if you look back the original. The movie starts in the year. It starts just as the year nineteen hundred. Is you know, it's like New Year's Day, nineteen hundred, and obviously, right there is a deviation because the the original novel was uh, first published in serial form in um, in like five six issues. The January to May 1895 issues of the New Review. So obviously, Wells was not was not thinking ahead. He was literally yeah. just setting it in that present time, and so 
there are scenes and references that the movie makes that you that Wells couldn't have predicted in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, like, let's see. Um, when he tra- when well, like one of the stops he makes where he meets um, the grown-up son of young uh, of Philby, who's in the uh, who's getting ready to go off to war, right? Um, in World War One, and then jumping ahead, it was kind of funny though because when he makes that stop, if you think about it, the the stop that looks all super futuristic, yeah, but it has the atomic, you know, the the atomic excuse me, the atomic bomb going off. Right. That's supposed to be 1965, only five years after the movie. I'm like, really? You really thought it would look that futuristic in five years? Yeah. That's, um, it's funny you say that. Uh, An old neighbor of mine was a a big fan of, of the book and uh, one of his all time favorites. And, um, and for him, it was kind of the, uh, the movies just never got it for him. Um, and he was, I, I think his, I think what do we, I think we were actually talking about the, um, the Simon Wells version. Now I thought that this was before it came out, but it couldn't have been because I, I didn't know him until uh, three years after it came out. And, um, but he was saying, you know, just the, 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 how the world, world building really felt off to him. And, um, and he did mention the uh, the um, far, far flung future of 1965. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's one of the and one of the things about these every one of these versions that I've seen that I've seen of the movie yeah. um, when they do the movie, it's like they want to add an explanation for why the earth is the way it is by the time he gets to the time of the Morlocks at Eloy. And it's like, it really doesn't matter because you're going, you know, hundreds of thousands of years into the future. Anything could have happened. Yeah. Do we do it? Like it, it's funny because, um, it always makes me think of planet of the apes, right? Um, mm-hmm. you know, you don't need to know how we got there. You just need to know that we did. And you can generally surmise from the state of the world um, how we ended up there. And um, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. I think that uh, I, I think that, that that is the commentary is 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 it is more saying this is the direction in which we are headed. Do I really need to like do you need to know why the Grinch is uh, why the Grinch hates Christmas, or uh, do you just accept he hates Christmas yeah. and we move it's, on? Exactly. Um, oh, what was I just thinking? That's a they good they say this a lot. They say this oh. a lot. Where where like with the upcoming uh, Willy Wonka movie, um, where where the idea is like, hey, let's take this interesting character and remove. Every layer of mystique from it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, or the or like Maleficent or Cruella. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The list goes these, on these, because this is this a thing. Is, yeah. It's like oh, we need to, we now need a secret origin to the villain, and that's uh, what they're trying to do with these with these sort of tacked on uh, scenes. 
in right. the various versions of the time machine is like, oh, we have to explain it. And it's like, Wells didn't explain it. Even Wells knew that enough was enough. Right. I mean, that's it's it's one of those um there's some movie and it keeps ducking out of my head. Oh no, wait, it's that's why I keep thinking it's a movie and it's not. It's um just look at um look at Isaac Asimov's Galactic Empire books. Okay. Look at his um by the at one point he writes Robots and Empire in yeah. order to in order to basically bridge the gap between okay, Earth, you know, the the robot, the Ardeniel Oliva novels, where Earth is uh, you know isolated and yeah. there are fifty spacer worlds and you can't really there's not free travel between Earth and the spacer worlds to jump thousands of years ahead to a galactic federation and you know to a galactic empire and Earth Earth is a Earth is forgotten. And it's yeah. radioactive and and uninhabitable, especially you know. And it's like, well, okay. And then you read Robots and Empire, and it tries to set it up that oh, well, this is what eventually happened. Right. And it's like just leave it alone. It's ten thousand years in the future. We don't yeah. need to. We we really didn't. It's an interesting story, um, and it's kind of fun because it's. It's that it's retroactive continuity is what it is in in that case, but yeah. it's still it's like well we don't necessarily need that just like for this we don't necessarily you know the the fact that that he's the the fact that in you know six in in the futurist in the far flung future of nineteen sixty five um, yes Wells or well George that's another thing the traveler mm. didn't even have a name in in the book, but he's, he is, according to IMDB, it says it's H George Wells. Yeah. Like, that that seems is not to, supposed to be Herbert George Wells. It's supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, the idea is like, okay, so. Right. Uh, you know, he didn't name the character. Perhaps he was meant to be the character. Could be. Um, but the thing I, uh, what I do recall that in the movie, he's just called George. Pretty right. sure I don't recall him actually having a last name or anything, but it's okay. It's it's it this this is one of those things. It's like it that's perfectly acceptable. Yeah, I don't have an issue with that. But um, but it's the idea of um, you know George. I think what they did was that that was their excuse um, to have him become encased in rock for all that time so that they could a save some money, <laughs> you know, from, from those uh, special effects going on around him mm. and B not have to try and keep predicting what the future was going to look like until you get super far out in, into, yeah. You know, the, the 800th century. It's always the, um, uh, you know the kind of the double-edged sword right is that you want to add that that touch of quote-unquote realism but then it's the uh you know we we bring it to where it's the future but it's you know it's a possible near future right. um and but then they go too far with uh with it making it the future of now um and it you know and like you say in five years we took down all those buildings and uh and and went and uh, uh, you know up and designed it to be like the Jetsons, 
Right. Exactly. Um, in a way, it makes me think of Star Trek or okay. even the Legion of Superheroes. Yep. Or anything like that. How, how whatever they predict for the future is going to be the future as we, uh, as we, it's based on what they saw it to be. Like at the time they couldn't have predicted that, um, that even transistors would replace. Well, if you go back to like early Legion stories before, yep. before transistors came around, you know, they, they were still going off the idea of vacuum tubes. Yeah. Um, then you get Star Trek and they had the, 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 Roddenberry at least kind of advanced the idea of a transistor by calling it transstator. Yeah. Um, and then you jump ahead into like next generation and they're talking about um, the, the, they had to, they had to invent new lang, you know, new lang, basically a new type of language. They had to invent the isolinear optical chip. Yeah. Um, and then, Oh look, but it's a, Everything's getting even more shrunk down. Why would you need such a big, you know, so they have to explain things like, oh, well, actually the computer's running under, literally running with its own warp bubble. So it's going, oh, it's actually yeah. processing at faster than light speeds. And it's like, you have to keep, um, because they're trying to keep up with what does the, well, what does the technology look like? Which is why Strange New Worlds is kind of fun because it kind of, backtracks that technology and the look but still it's that whole you're extrapolating but the funny yeah. thing about the move you know the funny thing going taking you back to the time machine is they over extrapolated and i think it was just because they wanted to keep the idea that oh look that's young philby only older mm -hmm. you know that, that it's like oh look you know um, philby's son is now in his 60s is, you know is now this old man right um, instead of jumping ahead even like 20 more years and to try and make it look, you know, make it look a little bit more. And well, it's, you know, speaking yeah. of other uh, classic time travel stories um, in uh, a Christmas Carol, mm -hmm. um, you have, uh, you know, the idea of the Christmas future is still close enough that he recognizes some of the people. Right. Uh, because seeing how they've changed and and he hasn't um, mm -hmm. actually it sort of enhances the the difference and and maybe um, again I mean I don't know that they needed that at all like I don't know right. that they needed to have the same characters I think his absence from those characters is 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 really what makes the story interesting right um it, you know in that you know I'm leaving everything I know behind and uh, rather than uh, I'm going I'm going to see how you're doing in a few years yeah exactly I mean this is this is more uh, I think in a sense, Wells got it, got it right, so to speak, when he did, uh, well, in the novel, for one thing, because he's going that far into the future. Yes. But even if, he, even if he hadn't gone that far into the future, look at, for example, things come where we jumped ahead um, technically 96 years because the movie yeah. starts in 1940. Um, or look at, look at even 2001 A Space Odyssey. Not a yep. time travel movie, but a movie where they had to extrapolate what's the future going to look like. At least they were, you know, they were thirty-three years into the future. Yeah, and at at that time, 
some some of the design trends and such were reasonable. And we've seen instances as time has gone by where maybe predictions that were made start to kind of look like they're gonna they're actually yeah. getting closer to happening. Um, Cyberpunk's a classic of that. So I think that's one of the few failings of the movie is the fact that they had to stop and and throw that in that additional oh look what happened just leave i would have practically just left all of it alone mm. I mean, because i remember also um i think he got if i remember right oh darn i mean well things like getting flung out uh the the sirens and stuff when he hears it during world war ii too as he's passing through it you know faster the, yeah. the fact just say that you know he goes forward and you start speeding up and going faster and faster and then you could have just made everything a blur around it but apparently they wanted to create some touchstones beforehand and yeah. i'm not sure i'm not sure that it helped the movie well i think you always you, you always have to worry about in in any genre fiction you need to worry about the day after tomorrow it's right. a whole other thing if it's a hundred years uh hence then it's like okay well you can see where that's where they would think it was going and, uh, right. and that sort of thing. But the, the idea that it's like, no, let's, um, you know, let's make this a thing. And, right. um, you know, the, the day after tomorrow is always going to look ridiculous, uh, when you actually get there. Um, oh, yeah. It's like, look what they think we were going to be doing. Oh, ha, ha. that's, that's why you all, that's why, um, the farther in the farther in the future you run sort of it becomes that sort of um it becomes sort of paradoxical because the farther in the future the more the the weirder you can make it but yeah. at the same time at the same time because you're limited by what can you envision based on your on the zeitgeist mm -hmm. well based on you know where you are located in time and what yeah. technologies are available which is like and and you see that in in all science, you know, science fiction. Absolutely. So, but I just think that that was kind of a mistake to set. They, they should have been, instead of 1965, should have just jumped forward longer, you know, presume, oh, life could, you know, lifespans would be increasing. And just yeah. if they'd have plunked it even 20 years later, I could have, I could have gotten behind that piece the, if they even needed it. Yeah. In the year 2000. <laughs> and I'm I'm getting Zager and I'm getting old Zager and Evans flashbacks. In the year 2525. Yeah. Uh, I was going with Conan, but yeah. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but, but it was funny because valid. Yeah. I mean, I guess they got, at least they got it right. Like the idea that um, you know, it's yeah, it's only a few years away. But yeah. it's 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 amusing to think of um, of of that future. And, yeah. Um, well, even yeah. even like space nineteen ninety nine being set, yes. you know, only tw you know a little over twenty years uh, uh, from, when the, from when the show came out. Thirty, yeah. Oh no, the, I, it came out. It came out Space? late, what, late 60s, early 70s? Uh, hmm, now that I think about it, when did it come out? Even in 1970, it was still 29 yeah. years. Yeah, you know? yeah. Space 99 ran from 75 to 77, so it was running right before Star Wars came out. So, yeah, yeah you're, you're looking at, you know, basically 25 years, roughly. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, 20, 20, 25 years in the future. And it, but, you know, even that played with it, not five years. Yes. Um, yeah. I five will, years is, 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 um, uh, you know, it's kind of ridiculous. Like you look at, um, uh, we, we were talking about this uh, at work today. It's like, you know, where, uh, one of the girls posited that, you know, time has really just slowed, you know, mm-hmm. it used to be that you, you could, you could sort of look at someone, uh, what someone was wearing and say, Oh, that, is, you know, that was not 1997, but 1996 and how right. that hasn't really changed as much in the intervening time. The thing you're mainly looking for is what kind of phone are they using? Yeah. Um, and, um, you know that that's that's really the trick um and uh, and so it becomes less a you know a style thing or, or you know or anything like that it it's you know so you, so she was saying like you'll you'll be watching something and it just it's yeah yeah no this is just like we just like whoa what the hell is that they they're talking on mm-hmm. yeah um or even you know even in uh things to come there was that moment where um, where Cabell, where Oswald Cabell uses what looks like you know a, a, a golden age science fiction version of um, a wrist radio. Yeah, um, I mean you know look, or look at Dick Tracy and the the two way wrist TVs that he had, you know that they had in the sixties. Absolutely. You know, and now and now we're looking at it and we're saying, oh well, yeah, this is normal. Yeah. Um, but there, the reason, one of the reasons why I think that that 1965 scene kind of ruins where they were going with it, yeah. Maybe this is um, is because there was a there there was a section that early editions of the novel actually deleted, but it did appear in the serialized form, and it was restored later. And I remember this bit from the comic book version from that. Um, that I don't know what you call it, graphic novelish version yeah. um, that I had, and where he continued in escaping from the the Morlocks, um, he travels. Now they, we do see him traveling forward a little bit, yeah. Um, in, in you know traveling forward, but then slowly going back. But in escaping from the Morlocks in the book, he actually goes so far in the future that he's on this sort of how here's it. Um, here's how it was, how like Wikipedia described the, well, this is paraphrased from them just because it was easier to, to read from them. Um, it's where the traveler after escaping the Morlocks materializes in the distant future in a yeah. frost covered moor land with a, with simple grass, grasses, black bushes and the traveler stuns or kills one of the kangaroo, like hopping herbivores that he sees when he examines it, he, he makes this uh, determination that they're probably the descendants of, uh, of the Eloy and Morlocks. So that means that they're also distant descendants of humans. Mm-hmm. Um, but then this gigantic centipede like arthropod um, approaches. So he jumps back in his machine, goes forward a day and he finds where uh, apparently the creature ate the herbivore. So, I mean that that whole idea of watching it and seeing even further evolution, yeah, and seeing where the evolution goes—that's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a that and that that kind of 
it kind of, uh, you know, looking at that, that really underscores what I think was the point of the novel. Okay. Um, because I feel like the novel was more like talking not just about, well, considering it was 1895, you know, there, there's a certain element of both social and um, biological Darwinism involved here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Wells himself was a socialist. We know this. Um, right. And his his idea effectively boiled down to, at some point, the social strata, the, the socioeconomic stratification, if it stays, becomes a point where the workers are technically in control, um, which is what, the way it was. The Morlocks yeah. were, were farming the Eloy. If you were to take this and um, – now, this, this is probably based on you know, Wells' own – uh, own childhood and young adulthood because he um at the time it was very it was very normal to live for the the working class to li- you know to spend a whole bunch of time underground yeah and i wouldn't be surprised if that same principle um is what informed the uh, the idea of the workers in metropolis being underground oh that yeah yeah and it's interesting that that was you know, again, it's an interesting reaction. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, if you look at it, there's a funky role reversal going on. If you take Metropolis and you look at how the, the, the underground, the workers, you know, the workers are underground, they're downtrodden. They're, you know, that that's where their jobs are. That's where the, that's where everything is. And, yes. the, and the elite are high up in their towers and, and you've got like, but well, again, in, yeah. But again, in um, you know, uh, last time we talked about uh, um, uh, things to come, and right. uh, and and I mean, it was, I, 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 you know, it 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 was interesting. It's like it's like he thought, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure this is what's going to happen. They're going to go underground. Right. And, right. uh, and so that became his, uh, sort of a recurring theme for him. And that, yeah, because, uh, if you look at it in its, um, if you look at it this way, it's a, the time, uh, Metropolis is a role reversal of the time machine. Although we're talking about, um, you know, the, the movie version, which came out, yeah. um, 33 years later, uh, you know, the book, uh, the, the book, the time machine obviously was out. 32 years before yeah. metropolis mm-hmm. and when you look at the two of them you've got that that same idea of of the working class underground but what the what happens is if you use wells's socialist views the working class becomes technically more powerful to the point where it's preying on the elite and the elite yeah. doesn't even realize it mm-hmm. and that that to me is just it just it, it smacks of the principle of the proletariat, uh, the proletariat uniting against uh, uh, against the, the, you know the, the bourgeoisie, yeah. the bourgeoisie. Yes, could mm. not think of that word to save my life. That's okay. Um, and so, I have I have this idea even that if you could create a continuum, there would be a way to actually fit Metropolis things to come and the time machine all into a timeline, not just from the years that they were made, yeah. Yeah. but from the way that, that because you see 
at the end of Metropolis, this idea that that the that the bourgeoisie and the proletariat are starting to come together, then the idea of oh, an underground city where everybody lives and everybody's you know where it's all progress mm. to the point where you get these guys you know to the point where you get like the Autocopolis or however his name was pronounced saying, um, you know, saying, what is this progress? We've gone off the idea of progress. Um, and then take that forward into the inevitable de- destruction of technology yeah. by the era of, you know, by the 800 and by, by 800, 2,701 or 800, 1,700, yeah. whichever the, the, the 101st century or whatever yeah. that is. Um, no, that would be the eight, 800, I don't even want to guess, 801, 802,700th century. That's it. No, 600th century, 802,600th century. That's too hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, looking 800,000 years into the future, um, you, you can actually see it as a potential progression. And right. that's you know that that's the thing about time about a good time travel movie is that you can sometimes see other things that uh, other things that you know, other movies uh, other ideas that could theoretically fit in that could still if you're going far enough forward in time it becomes a possibility yeah so that that was you know that that was one of the the most interesting thing to me is that is why you know watching through it this time just that idea of oh wow look at the time um look at how this relates to metropolis because uh, you know things to come was hg wells's response to metropolis therefore yeah. therefore you know where was there was there anything in the time machine that would have informed his response to Metropolis. Mm. So, you know, I, I'm kind of, it's a causality loop. You're right. You know, I'm, I'm looking at it as a causality loop of like, okay, because we know the time machine was written before Metropolis, what in the, you know, what about that novel would have potentially informed his response, Wells's response in 1927 to the movie to the point where by 1936 they've created, they've uh, they've decided to turn his re- what's effectively his response into a movie. Okay, and it's a, um, and it's very interesting. I mean, the, the, there's there's not just a theme. Whereas here's here's the way I look at it. Whereas Things to Come has kind of a a semi positive ending. I say semi positive because you've got you you've got the Autocopolis and, and crew, you know, and all the people he's he's um the I'm just gonna I'm just gonna call them Luddites. Um, yeah, that's fair. Where yeah, where, where he's got where where the Luddites are attacking, getting ready to destroy the space uh, the space gun yeah. uh, before it can be fired and. And they, you know, they fire the gun. Um, they have just enough time that they fire the gun in the nick of time before, before they can the delicate machinery can be destroyed. And you're seeing right there 
the idea, sort of a hopeful note, the idea of no, look, you know, even with people who are who want to who want to tear down where we progressed to, that there's always that push to the future. As a matter of fact, that's kind of reflective of where things are these days because you know, we with all the with all of the um, reactionary, yeah, um, the, with all the the reactionary. Uh, mindsets towards education, towards yep. actually towards uh, many things about science in general. There's still people mm. pushing ahead. Yeah, it's true, and I mean, there's um, there there is uh, there is also you know if you want to take the um, the the whole idea of the Luddites literally, um, where it started as as a labor movement, right, and it was a fear of the future. Uh, you know, it was a, uh, you know, the original um, Luddites came out of uh, textile uh, uh, manufacturers. Right. And they were, um, you know, just trying to destroy uh, the machinery that was designed to um, uh, to replace them, uh, mm-hmm. at least as they, as they saw it. And so I think it's very interesting when you look now with uh, with things like AI coming about and and um, and people trying to figure out how how to put that into their uh, into their industries um, is is you get the it's that idea of the of the pushback. Now, a lot of the pushback was then turned into they fear technology and aren't they ridiculous mm-hmm. And that was just, you know, the man's way of saying like, uh, let's, uh, let's not let this take hold. Um, Let's make fun of them. And, uh, but it's like, you know, this is a, this is a thing, you know, there is, we always look to the future, um, but we fear what it means for the present and the past. Right. We, um, it's that fear of losing your livelihood. Yeah. Yeah. It, these so are ex, existential crises, basically, is, uh, you know, the 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 because he, here's the thing. Here's the thing about the future. Um, you know, it, yeah, you may uh, you may, you know, be uh, be out of job because, uh, you know, they no longer make buggy whips. Um, but but also you might be dead. And um, and so so. Is you know many people's right. fear of the future it, it becomes you know quite simply uh, ugh, don't know how much time I got do I need to uh, to push forward through it and it's a and when you apply that same idea to the time machine so you know what we have is in effect. Um, and this is Wells's whole notion of social progress and all that, um, is it effectively the Luddites are the Eloi, weirdly enough. They're not really the Morlocks because the Morlocks are the ones that, who are actually working the equipment, keeping it, keeping it running. The Eloi are the ones who've gone back to literally gone back to a point where they, they don't know anything. Yeah. I mean, the, the movie has them at least knowing, uh, knowing how to spin those little rings that would, you know, that that then uh, were were like journals basically, mm. um, where Weena, you know, starts spinning the ring and it, it gives uh, something that tells the events of what happened back in a certain year. Whereas in the novel, it seems like they aren't even that. Yeah, 
They're, they aren't even that uh, intelligent. I think so, in the I think in the movie it was that we need something that shows he's in the future, something yes. that we don't have here. Um, sort of grasping at that straw. Mm-hmm. But and then, yeah, yeah, and so that that's the thing that that's the weirdest that that's the weirdest thing when you look at it is that the whole idea of resisting progress carries out not carries out into the people who look beautiful and and it's it's amazing that you know you have that whole on the surface kind of thing yeah because how to explain this um best way to that i can think of to put it is to say that what you're that what you see in the time machine is that the people who want to be pampered, who want who want life to go back to the simple ways, they get their wish in the far future. They get their wish by you know by you know, by eight hundred thousand years in the future. But the price that those people pay, the ones who want the simpler time, is that the yeah. people who have the more advanced times prey on them. Yeah, it's the idea of if you. If you want to push for the simpler times, that's great, but progress is going to roll over you anyway. That's another message that I get out of the time machine. I think it it doesn't that because the in the production well because in the film they wanted to have something that showed a, a little bit you know that showed you hey look how far in the future we are look at yeah. these things that that happen you don't quite get the same feeling but it's still there. It's just not as, uh, in my opinion, it's not as strong as if you did it literally from the, um, you know, if if you were to take a more direct adaptation from the book, that might be more boring. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, as as a theme of the book, you know, it is that idea of, uh, like you mentioned earlier about, um, um, about Wells' um, uh, so- socialist tendencies, um, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of it really did kind of respond to uh, to uh, to Marx and um, Carl, not Groucho. Um, uh, yeah, one morning was, I shot an elephant in my pajamas. Thank you. How he got my pajamas, I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, one day I shot an elephant in my time machine. How he got in my time machine, I'll never know. Um, but uh you know that that was a big part of it like when you think about it like you know th- this is um uh you know in 1895 you know we've we've just come through the industrial revolution and right. uh so incredible wealth earned by some and uh and you know but not evenly distributed as they say um and so you know the the idea of the um you know the lower class workers their their labor is you know needed to to generate this prosperity and um and i and i think that we're seeing a push back against the the instruments of progress mm-hmm. um yeah, all through this really um you know it, it is the the move away from all that and uh, but then the the push back against it and um and you know Wells also seems to be saying that we don't need all this in the future. Yeah. Um, he's, he's also giving that it, it Wells is at least posing what amounts to kind of a moral dilemma. Almost. Yeah. 
it's the do we allow ourselves to become these cannibalistic creatures feeding off the other half of our race or do we become such simpletons that we yeah. can't um, that, that we can't do anything and we never know for sure. I mean, in the movie, one of the things about the movie that I really like, uh, that I do like, is the fact that he goes back, that, that he leaves again. And then he goes forward in time. Yeah. Um, long enough to be, you know, that we know he goes forward in time. And we know that he takes some books. We don't know what the books are. Mm. I remember, you know, I, I like the, how in that ending they leave it. Well, what books would you take? Well, you know, given that it's 1900, there are some – it's a good question of what, like, five books I think it is that he took. What yeah. five books did he take? I mean, this is somebody who's an inventor, but does that mean that he knows enough to um, – it? well, the question is – this kind of goes back to things to come as well. Um, he's the one – he, he is effectively going to be the benevolent force of the te- the idea of the technology in the right hands, where um, the same as like that wings over the world, yeah, uh, set uh, organization in things to come, as opposed to the Morlocks, you can equate almost to like Ralph Richardson's character, the chief in the in the barbaric village and the the warmongering powers that essentially abuse technology and not only stall progress, but kind of roll it back. Yeah. And this is kind of what we're, you know, in, in effect, we're kind of seeing that same kind of idea. The, the, this is, you know, this, this is kind of an earlier version of that idea. The idea that, that, Oh, well, if you're rolling, um, you are progress is in the, is in the hands of the wrong people. But instead of you know, the technology's in the wrong hands, and it's, but instead of the te- instead of progress rolling, you know, instead of progress stalling or or rolling back, instead, it's the human condition itself degrades, degenerates, mm-hmm. rolls back to rolls back to like hunter gatherer type things where yeah. know, predator predatory hunters. Um, or you know the the flat out simpletons, the predator and prey, that that society degenerates back to the predator and prey. Well, who's going to be yeah. that source? Who's going to be the the source of uh, of rescue? You know, who's going to be who's the technology in the right hands person? It's the traveler. What's the new? Uh, what what is the new uh, food chain? Essentially, right? right. Uh, because you don't see. You don't really see anything else in the way of, of food there, and the um, you know the 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 Eloy are vegetarians yeah. apparently. You know, we we certainly don't see them eating meat. They they don't know they wouldn't know how to hunt it. Yeah, and that's so that that's one of the most uh, to me that that's one of the most interesting themes in it is well okay how does society evolve or devolve. Does evolution does technology cause evolution or de-evolution? Well, and that's an interesting thing. Like again, I think uh, when you say about you know the, uh, them sort of evolving to the point where they can't really do anything, uh, makes me think of of uh, the Pixar movie Wall-E. Mm-hmm. 
right? Where we have um, a society that has become so dependent on these things that we've become soft, we've become uh, lazy, and uh, and you know, it was very prescient, um, you know, given when it came out. Right. Um, and, and I think that, you know, again, one of my favorite examples is Idiocracy, which uh, uh, was off by about 500 years. Right. Um, you know, they said it was 500 years in the future. It just didn't take that long. Um, <laughs> you know, the, this this whole thing about how, well, you know, we've just become so lazy with uh, with all the things that we've got available to us to uh, to help us do these things. I mean, you know, when why when I was a kid. And we wanted to change the TV, the channel on the TV. We had to get up, walk over to the TV. My kids look at me in horror when I say this. And turn uh, a dial. And turn uh-huh. a dial. Exactly. You know, yeah. um, they on occasion will press the button at the back of the TV because mainly because they can't find the, the remote and they don't want to tell me that they've lost it. Um, right. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the idea that, you know, yeah, the, the, um, um, you know, the, the, uh, fact that we, we gradually take out any movement and, um, it's like, why well, I, I can do this from, uh, from here. Now I don't even need to look for the remote because I can control it from my phone. Or now I, now I don't need, need the remote because I've hooked, because I've hooked up a smart, uh, a smart home system and I can just tell it what channel I want. Oh, exactly. And soon uh, it'll give me abbreviations I can use because I don't want to have to tell it full words. Yeah. And it's a, this is, and what we're seeing, and in, you know, movies like Idiocracy and Wally are kind of, they're, they're the, the spiritual descendants, I think, of the time machine. That's fair. Uh, uh, obviously more satirical in the, in their right. nature, but I, I, I actually I don't know I, I I think I can say that uh, with uh, idiocracy is that it was intended to be satirical instead of completely accurate, mm-hmm. um, uh, but but certainly with uh, with Wally it just seemed uh, um, you know it, it seemed more cautionary tale, right? And I, in some respects, arguably some of the post-apocalyptic um, subgenre of science fiction yes. owes its existence to this too. Not, totally, uh, totally. Not because, I mean, where, where this is, this relies on the idea that it's simply hundreds of thousands of years and that yeah. things will happen. But um, when you've got... When once once you throw in like the movie version here, once you throw in the idea that oh look there was an atomic war, and oh look you know war warring factions, and oh war is causing you know war is causing everything to fall uh, causing society to fall apart. Once you start paying, once you start including that in, you start nudging even you know something like this to yeah. To that kind of post-apocalyptic look, where where um, th- this could be, in theory, this could be Mad Max in the future. Well, I, I, yes, and and that you br- brought that up. It's it's something I was thinking uh, a bit earlier. Is is you know like you know in in saying that 
These po- the the post apocalyptic movies owe a lot to the time machine. I mm-hmm. think as a um, this idea of uh, of worlds rising and falling. You know, I always think back to the first episode of Futurama, where uh, where you see uh, you know Hyde gets frozen in the donut shop or in the pizza uh, shop, and uh, um, and we see um, sort of society rise and fall. Uh, and, you know, countless times until we finally get to where he is, and you see that that world get created and and then fall apart, and then it starts again and it falls apart, and um and you know we've seen this with various uh, empires, you know uh, mm-hmm. the uh, uh, you know the Roman Empire being sort of possibly the best example, um, right? But uh, but this uh, suggests that uh, as we go these. Um, what these these catastrophes these um these you know um world ending things get more serious and uh and 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 maybe we don't come back quite as strong uh or able to learn from the previous uh, the, the from the previous instance exactly or get to the point where where we're not where we're too feeble to even repeat history let alone Mm -hmm. learn from it um yeah yeah that's that that's something that uh, i see a lot um you know now that that you say that you remind me of um the book a canticle for Leibowitz. oh yes wow um which is set sometime in the future and I there was a NPR did an amazing adaptation of it um, uh-huh. back in I think it was the early eighties. I have it. I I, I found it somewhere, um, and I saved the, the audio files. But um, it's you know just it's that same idea that that it comes back around to the point where now that you know now there's going to be another. Mm. another nuclear disaster that only this time it's going to completely destroy the world you know, by the end of the book. And, um, but, and it's only a few people who are leaving earth on the arcs yeah. you know, on space arcs to, to save it. It's, it's that idea. It's that I think a lot of these earth has become too toxic to live in. It's not original necessarily to the time machine, but I think the time machine is kind of where it comes from. Now, uh, um, some, yes, absolutely. Now, something I'd like to point out to that is that, of course, a canticle for Leibowitz actually came out in 1960. It was copyright 1959, but but it right. was released as a hardcover in 1960. Um, uh, you know, so so you kind of have something that's kind of uh, hanging out in the zeitgeist, if you will. Um, right. You know, this book that was written, um, you know, 65 years before, I was going to say 60 years, but there was an extra five years, you see, Alan. Yeah. And that five years can make a huge difference. I don't know if you if you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, that 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 makes the the difference between um, my my uh, mom's parents being to being one hundred and twenty three versus one hundred and twenty eight. Wait, let me check your math there. Yes, yeah, that checks out. It checks out. Yes, because um, it's my parent. Yeah, that that's the other thing is that the <laughs> that's time how machine. Math works. <laughs> yeah, the time machine came out the year the year my grandparents the, the year two of my grandparents were born. So it's like, wow, to think of everything that 
you know, yeah. to, to think of everything, everything that that book tries to predict. Well, oh, absolutely. In a sense, tries to predict, but the, yeah, Wells is smart in that he predicts in that he's using it. It, it is a very, it's very, very strong allegoric allegory yeah. rather than being, I, I think that's probably where something like um, these, some of these um, near futures. And I think this is kind of where the movie nesses, uh, kind of throws the allegory off is the fact that they're trying to be too, too close to modern yeah. times yeah. or what was modern for then. They so, can't yeah. let it go. They can't just right. let it go. Um, and, and, and think about this is, um, you know, Wells wrote this before um, um, things to come. And right. um, he, he wrote it uh, 41 years before things to come. Oh my God. Was it that long? It was, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, gotta add, gotta, gotta add that five in there. Uh, it's always the five. Yeah. It's, it's always the five. five years makes all the difference between, That's right. Flint, between Flintstone and Jetson. That's um, right. Yeah. So, but, but think about that is that, that in that time, his ideas on, on uh, where mankind was going to be in the future were a lot um, um, narrower. Right. And so it's at that time, you know, especially because Wells was only jumping ahead a hundred years in, in the movie of things to come, there were, um, it, it, that gives you room to play with, with the idea of, of the society, of the society falling apart and bringing itself back up. I mean, you even see that in, in um, there's kind of an echo of that in the film version in the 1960 version of the time machine where we do see, you know, earth having been, uh, having been ravaged by nuclear war that at some point he sees, he, he sees like flowers growing and, you know, he sees, mm-hmm. he sees the earth kind of regenerating itself um, in, yeah. in light of that. And yeah, it, it it works um, in that respect. It works, at, you know, in the idea of of you get a little bit of a hint of that idea of society going down, going up, and going down, and going up, and going down. Yeah. Um, because because if there's one thing that at least that was attempting to do, in my opinion, was that it was it it, it feels like it was an attempt to show society is, is cycling itself through. I just don't think it was very successful because it jumped ahead only five years. Right. I mean, that, you know, the far flung future of 1965 um, from 1960 and who knows, maybe, maybe in writing the screenplay, um, they managed to read a copy of a, an advanced copy of a canticle for Leibowitz. And get the idea yeah. of, oh, well, but then again, nuclear, you know, the nuclear destruction was on everybody's, everybody's minds right then. This was, this was after all, you know, height of the Cold War. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and, and again, um, I think a, a lot of it comes down to that theme of like, we're all going to destroy ourselves. And, yeah. um, and, and as you know, uh, yeah. Ooh. Interesting. So I just looked up Mechanical mm-hmm. for Leibowitz. At least according to this, it was actually first published in October 1959 by J.B. Lippincott and Company. Hmm. 
Interesting. Interesting. Depends on who you ask. Yes. Yes. Um, as I say, it well, was. I'm, um, I'm, I'm looking up the. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to do the smart thing. I'm going to go to the Library of Congress here. Ah, uh, there you go. Because it is copyright 1959. Right. And it says it. Canticle for Leibowitz, a novel. There you go. Well, let's see. Because I think this gives publication information. Uh, no. All items. Thank you. Thank you. All items. Book printed material. A Canticle for Leibowitz novel. Catalog record only. Shows. And this is. Okay. Yeah. See, that's, this makes no sense. Because this, yeah. this shows. That's a big deal. Yeah, I trust the Library of Congress. Yeah, over, whether it's October 1959 or 1960, um, yeah. it's not like it's five years difference. Right, um, it's not. Know. Yeah. No, this is... Um, Fred I'm Flintstone to, has barely made his way home in in that time, um, I'm, let alone... Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm going. I'm going with the uh, with the the Library of Congress. Yeah, um, you know, over over something in Wikipedia, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's well. Wikipedia is not all bad. It's just it's only a starting point. Yeah, yeah. You know? That's why I always used to tell my students. But um, yeah. Oh, here's here's an interesting thing, and I that. I would like to see what the 1949 TV movie version was like, because mm. there was one. Um, and also there's a rumor that they're going to try remaking it again that's a, um, with a projected release date of 2027. Maybe that, maybe that one will finally see the future. We'll finally see him go all the way in the future and see, uh, you know, and see that end chapter, that, that part that was, yeah that was not present in oh, the first versions of the that. novel. Um, yeah. I, I can uh, kind gosh. of see why they wouldn't do that. As much as I would like to have seen that in the 1960 version, I don't think they have the technology, pardon the expression, given everything else, but I, I don't think they'd reached enough technological evolution to be able to do that convincingly. Yeah. And I, Again, I I think it's one of those things that isn't necessary. The the vague ending, uh, right. you know, it it it's right. Well, you know, I, mean, I kind of like this idea of him, um, you know, taking off into the future. At one point, I thought there was a, a a version of the story where he actually sends the machine back. And uh, uh, or maybe I'm mixing that up with a different. Uh, time travel story where someone did such a thing um which is entirely possible but uh but this idea that it's like you know i'm going there and i'm staying it's like you know it's like cortez uh burning the boats um you know i am here now and uh where this is where i live um yeah. uh, or, or maybe it was the atom in uh, sort of the atom. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I feel like it was a, a thing somewhere. I do. So I'm, I'm look, I, I looked up the, the, um, I looked up the plot of the original novel. Okay. To, you know, for comparison's sake. Yeah. And, um, 
one of the things about the original novel is um, that that whole, in addition to that whole deleted scene, he's also, he, he goes as far as 30 million years into the future. Yeah. Um, and like 30 million years in the future, there's like um, the red, reddish crab-like creatures that are one that are on blood red beaches that are chasing gigantic butterflies, uh, a world covered in simple lichenous vegetation. Vegetation. He finally, um, he finally, he actually sees the end of the earth. He sees the the sun growing larger yeah. and dimmer. Um, but when he returns, he um, I forgot about this part, but in the, in the book, he actually has evidence of his time travel. Mm. It's not just that he looks, cause he arrives, he arrives back. He's, he's only been gone for three hours, but the thing was he left three hours before that in the, in the novel, he's only, he's only gone. He, he returns three hours after he left rather huh. than, you know, a few days after he left. And, um, he had flowers in his pocket and the flowers are, are something that nobody had ever seen before. You know, um, so they, but, um, he does in the book leave. I did remember that. Yeah. I, I, the reason I double checked this was like, yeah. I was pretty, did he leave or didn't he? Yeah, he does. But, um, the, the narrator, because it's like a, t- a, a story and a story and a story kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and the narrator tells the narrator of the, the novel who is apparently Philby. Um, well in the, 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 I'm saying he would be the equivalent of Philby in the, yes. in the movie because it's Philby's point of view where we see him, where we see, um, well, where, where we know that Philby has returned and George has just, dis, you know, has just yeah. left again. Um, but the, the suppo- supposedly the whole story is told three years after the traveler's initial journey. Um, okay. so it starts with the, it starts with the, the narrator talking about the story of what happened to his friend, the traveler. Now right. the traveler comes, um, he, he brings it in and, so it's like a frame tale to bring in a frame tale because then the traveler's entire narrative of what happened is told in flashback because he arrived, because it's only after he arrives late to his dinner. Yes. Party. Yep. And then, um, you know, so they exit out of that frame tale and jump into the remaining, you know, jump back to the, the overarching frame. So you've got frame a frame B and, and flashback. Yeah. And, you know, and so you have to exit out of the flashback and back into frame B and then frame, and then back to frame A, where they say after um, that the narrator had been waiting three years still had, and the the traveler had still not returned. So we don't know if the traveler ever returned. So it's interesting. Yeah. It is very interesting. Narratively very complex. I mean, um, you know, it's a lot to sort of keep up with and, uh, in, in adapting it, it's, um, 
it's challenging, but it, you know, it, it, it does kind of end up being somewhat, you know, the equivalent of, uh, of someone's Kaiser Sose tale. Yes. <laughs> oh yes. And there, there is, there are some lines, um, some things, uh, some other things about this that are interesting. For example, um, that Eloi is actually the Hebrew plural for Elohim or the okay. lesser gods from the Old oh, Testament. Oh, wow. Mor- Morlock, the term Morlock could be a reference to uh, Moloch's, which was what miners call themselves. Or it could oh, be, interesting. Yeah. Or another one I saw was that it may be the Canaanite god Moloch, which was associated with child sacrifice. Oh. Given that the given that the Eloi are, are described as being very childlike, I would go with that one mm. personally, which also makes it kind of a fun one because what does what does Freighter uh, say when he sees when, when the uh, M machine goes nuts? He calls it Moloch. He sees it as as people being uh, he sees the people dying from that steam overhaul in Metropolis, you know, from yeah. that, that explosion. Um, <clears throat> sees them being tossed in, tossed in as though they are sacrifices to Moloch. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So there's that other, um, and then there's there is um, there's that Sphinx that that funky. Sphinx that's in the movie. Um, and it, it may, if you think about it, the Sphinx is the riddle in this whole, okay. whole thing. It's not, it's not until, you know, the, the Sphinx, like the riddle of the Sphinx. And it, it's that, it kind of symbolizes that puzzle of what happened to society. What, where the, the machine, what are, you know, what are the Morlocks and mm-hmm. discovering what the, you know, the, Discovering what the Morlocks are, what happened, how the Eloi survive. Right. So there's that. And then even the even those mysterious flower, you know, even the flowers that Weena uh, tucks into the traveler's pocket in the novel, those those flowers, I remember they were white flowers, which I don't right. know for sure, but could be like innocent, you know, you know think about it. Whites, purity, innocence. Yeah. Yep. In in uh, Western culture, so there's a lot that could be something involved in there, and I also think the fact that the that the Morlocks that he fights in the in the film, the fact yeah. that he's waving torches in the Morlocks' faces because yeah. he doesn't have any other he doesn't have like a flashlight or anything, and the Morlocks live in darkness. Um, the the idea that that's fire. It's fire that he's waving in their faces. Um, yeah. You know, it, the, like, it, it's like... Uh, effect, fire, the first symbol of progress, right? Right. And it's all, Prometheus. Yes. It, it's almost like, you know, it's almost like he is Prometheus to their... It, when he goes back, it's basically he's Prometheus bringing fire to bringing fire to mankind again by helping, you know, if he's going forward to help the Eloi rebuild civilization. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, you know, there, there we go. We've got, we've got another Prometheus. Hmm. Like Frankenstein, a modern Prometheus. Mm, interesting. And that, and so it, yeah, it, it, there's another tie in, another fun tie in that, you know, with other science fiction in that it also asks the question, 
at the end of it, is he play, is he putting himself in a position to be to play God? And if he is, what you know? Because if Eloy is you know the plural for a, for yeah. le, what amounts to lesser gods, yeah. and if the Morlocks are the Canaanite god, then who's he? Well, and, and, that, and that's is interesting he like, because is he is he like um, Yahweh, Yehovah, whatever? Yeah, yeah look at him as 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 Moses. He comes in there yeah. with his with his tablets, you know, with the with the books, and um, you know to uh, to lead them uh, to the promised land, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, that um, the the sad. The sad thing uh, about that 1949 version, yeah, is that they never recorded it. It was a BBC. It was on the BBC. They never recorded it. But I think the um, I think it said that uh, I read somewhere that they do have photographs from it plus the uh, plus the original script. Right. And apparently, the original script was pretty was pretty um i can't think was pretty faithful right that's interesting yeah so Mm -hmm. this is yeah it's a very interesting let's see oh i just found some a reference to a 1993 documentary on the time machine called the journey back and if i'm right if i'm right this is the reference, the, the thing I was thinking of that had um, that's a reference to, yep. It was done in 1993. Okay. Okay. It is a combination documentary and sh- documentary short and sequel to The Time Machine. Okay. It's not my imagination. It was hosted by, by Rod Taylor himself, George. Yeah, and it does include um, it, it does have a mini sequel where, um, and this is this is the first World War part, not the uh, um, th- this is what I was saying of the first World War where Philby um comes back and knows that George and George comes, uh, George returns to the past, so right. he returns, he returns to. Um, to the first world war before Philby leaves for France, because now he's trying, because he's trying to convince Philby to come with him rather than he's eventually, he's trying to effectively um, rescuing. He's effectively trying to rescue Philby because Philby's going to die in a plane crash. Well, uh, and it's, it's really, that was what I was thinking of, and that's what was on that DVD, and I'm sure it's on the on the mm. Blu-ray. I just didn't bother to look for it um, when I watched it. So, yeah, this is uh, – yeah, yeah, it says it um, released both the film and the documentary on Blu-ray disc. Good. It's a, it is on there. So Very if nice. you can get your hands on the on the Blu-ray, it it's there. So this is uh, – this is very, very interesting. And then let's see. First film went Bissell in the opening, recreating his role as George Friend Walton. Okay. The original version of the op- uh, of the, the film was gonna be something different where it had uh, where it had 
one of the other one of George's uh, other friends. Okay. Only set in 1932. Oh, okay. Um, but it, yeah, this it uses that's the film. Yeah, the it's got the, the this uh, thing called the journey back. That I don't know what you if you call it a documentary or if you call it a short mm-hmm. a sequel. Uh, we'll just call it a short a short film. There you go. So it's a short film, and it's. It's about the time machine. Uh, it's about the prop. You know, so it's got the prop mm-hmm. involved. Um, it's got, and it's got interviews with uh, Gene Warren and Wa Chang. Wa Chang is um, uh, Wa Chang designed early the, the the first Star Trek props. He designed the first communicator and the first tricorder. Um, he he was yeah. the, and the first phaser. Right. He's the one who designed the yeah. He's the one who designed the first the props um, in particular for um, for the cage. Oh, neat. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, um, just a little side note: the the close up, you know, because there's a close up of that of the communicator that that Chang designed um, in the in the cage because he opens it and you know it calls voice and says come. Uh, come to my my quarters and in the that same communicator was later repurposed re and uh, modified to be the control device that's that mccoy uses in spock's brain to make the brainless spock move oh good grief (laughs) Uh and then let's see and the second part of this of this film michael j has michael j fox talking about his experience with the DeLorean and back to the future. Uh huh. And then the third part is that, Oh no, I guess it does have that uh, introduction still in it. And the film's final section, Rod Taylor, Alan Young and Whit Bissell reprise their roles from the original 1960 film. And Whit Bissell is the one who was in 1932 reminiscing about, about his, about the inventor, you know, about George. Yeah. So there, yeah, it, it is a fun, it is a fun piece. I'm not sure if you can find it at the um, if you can find it anywhere except on the on the Blu-ray. Uh, let me see. The Time Machine, the Journey Back official official. Oh, yeah, it has its own official site, and it just says it's on Blu-ray. It doesn't say that there's any other way to mm-hmm. see it. Darn. Um, but if you can. If you can find it, if you can, uh, oh wait, you can rent it for for two bucks um, on Prime Video. Oh, there you go. So you can watch just the little the little short. It is so cute. I, mm-hmm. I would recommend it. Um, nice. I, I would definitely recommend it. And this is, I think, I I don't think Rod Taylor lived much past. Much past that. Oh, so, um, hang on. Um, How late did Rod Taylor live? Too? Yeah, I think um, he lived. He he died in 2015. Oh no, you're right. Yeah, why yeah. was I thinking? So that yeah, he he didn't die for another. What is that? 22 years. So never yeah. mind. Yeah, as, he was, I believe, as, 85. That's uh, right. Yeah. As just shy of the, 85. In the words of. Uh, the words of Gilda Radner when she played Emily Latella on Saturday Night Live. Never mind. Never mind. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, he had, a, he had a good run. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, you know, his, like, The Time Machine was his first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like, well, it, you know, it's it certainly his first lead. Um, uh, he'd uh, done some work in Australia. And, um, but, you know, he, he had done some TV, but then... Uh, then got this his first leading role in a feature film in the time machine and um um you know and of course we had george powell um right who uh would would go on to produce uh, well i mean had already produced several science fiction and fantasy films um uh such as when worlds collide um he he also did the 1953 war of the worlds Mm-hmm. Um, so all kinds of stuff. And now he didn't, uh, he, he lived until 1980, um, at the age of, uh, 72. Uh-huh. And, um, but, uh, you know, and, and aside from looking a lot, an awful lot like, uh, Captain Kangaroo, um, at least yes, he did. posted here. Right. Um, anyway, uh, you know, he was a guy who, uh, seemed to be interested in trying new things. And then once he saw them succeed, he would run them into the ground. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, I just like, yeah, he is, he wrote a sequel to the time machine. Uh, His sequel was, um, I've read it. My brother had a copy of this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, it's let's see i i could buy it from amazon in paperback uh used for let's see i i could buy it like new for 110 dollars, or i could buy it used good in used acceptable condition for 25 mm. yeah but i do remember the story it has to do with um george going George and Weena taking Weena with him back to uh, trying to get her back to um, 1900 before she gives birth to their son. And he gets thrown off again in the 19, uh, I'm pretty sure it was the 1940s. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And uh, he, yeah, it's a, it's more a sequel to the it's a sequel to the movie uh, to that 1960 movie more so than it's a sequel to the um, to the book. But it I, I remember the story and it it has to do with his son rebuilding the time machine um, because it, it was damaged, but rebuilding it uh, over time uh, as he gets gets older and then going forward again. I don't remember much beyond that, but I I just remember that I still I can't believe I still remember the book. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Because I read it when my brother bought it, which means and he bought it new, so that means I was 13 years old. Yeah. That's so interesting. That's crazy. Yeah. Ah. Okay, it's start. 
here's a there's a link to it. Um, I'm gonna to uh, somebody who did who did a quick uh, a quick synopsis of the sequel. So I'm gonna copy. I'm gonna put that link in our show notes, just because it's it's just too good to pass up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I don't know. I I, I think we've uh, I, I think we've managed to to uh, have a good time with this. But um, um, yeah, and I mean, I think we've uh, had a good exploration of of the the themes of the book and uh, and the movie, um, mm-hmm. and sort of the uh, the um, <laughs> the 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 proof that Hollywood's need to uh, explain a little too much um, yep. started long ago, and uh, and so there we go. Wow. And speaking, yes, and and you know what. Speaking of time, it's that time again. Oh, my. To see what's been wrapped around our cerebral cortexes, like those pesky SETI alpha eels from Star Trek II. So, Paul, what's, what, what, what's been stuck in your head I, lately? I, I actually thought I nearly had one of those the other day, uh, but that's a whole other story. Um, y- yeah, you know, um, God, what is it today? Okay, so I've been... Uh, actually, you know, uh, moving some bookcases around, I built a bunch of new bookshelves for downstairs. And so I'm starting to populate them. And that means going through, uh, some old books to take them down. And, um, and as everybody knows, when you got a bunch of comics, especially, uh, as you start moving these trades, uh, down, it's like, ah, just take a look in, in this one. Um, and, uh, and down the rabbit hole you fall. Um, and so, uh, so I have, uh, once again, fallen down the, uh, the rabbit hole of, uh, of Ed Brubaker, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, uh, criminal. And, uh, uh, and so I, um, the other night just sat down and, and, um, read through all of volume two of, of the, like the, the big compendiums, of, mm-hmm. of like all of the criminal stuff. And, um, and so I am, uh. I, I have now started the third book and, um, uh, you know, I, I, you know, hadn't just hadn't got around to, uh, to, to reading them. I've read most of the stories contained therein, uh, but there are some that I had missed. And so, uh, um, yeah, just fell down that rabbit hole with the second volume and I continue to flail about, uh, at the bottom of said hole, uh, with, uh, with volume three and, um, and in that little pile, I have, um, you know, once again, volume one of uh, of uh, American Vampire, um, volume one of the original Batman Incorporated. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and then um, Lobster Johnson is going to be following soon as well. Uh, so I'm kind of going through all eras, really. Um, uh, so, yeah, so that's uh, clean and house. It leads to a lot of reading. Oh, I yes, it does. Yeah. It can yeah. definitely do that. It's, it, I I haven't you know I don't I I think I've read once read Batman Incorporated just once. Yeah. I, so I I should probably go back and find find copies of it and maybe it's on uh, DC Infinite. I don't know. 
Oh, I can always look it up. I would. It, it, it's Grant Morrison writing Batman. It's on there. True. Um, True. <laughs> Wait, uh, I do remember. The one thing I do remember is that he's the one who actually introduced um, the original Batwoman and Batgirl back into continuity. That's right. And they're in that first volume. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So, yeah, that's in there. And, um, yeah, all all that stuff, and then uh, then you get as you, as you get further in, you get to the uh, the uh, Chris Burnham uh, Chris Burnham taking over on art. It started out with uh, Yannick Paquette, who I quite like, mm-hmm. but but man, yeah. Burnham owns that stuff, and oh, totally. uh, Burnham actually does the next two volumes as well, and um, and that that kind of um, ran through and then to the end of uh sort of that whole damien is dead um section um, oh that's right you know he's dead and will never come back again despite being a legionnaire having always right. forever will be uh but but um but you know forgetting that you know his grandfather has a lazarus pit yeah, that kind of helps things along a little bit when when grandpa has when yeah. grandpa yeah, it it um, you know what what's the old deal? So mama's got a squeeze box, but da- but grandpa has a Lazarus pit. Yeah, that's or something old, like that's, that. That's, that's the way that's the song a, goes. That's how the song goes. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Anyway, um, so there, yeah, there's all that, and there is a new um, Batman Incorporated as well. Oh, that's um, right, there is. But near as I can tell, that's um, sort of a straightforward uh, team book. Um, uh. Um, straightforward team uh, from what i can tell i mean i i yeah. i've maybe read one issue of of the, of that so anyway um so yeah that's what's been wrapped around my cerebral cortex how about yourself well uh, mine has been a play i just saw um on tuesday night so a couple of nights a uh, couple of nights before we recorded this i and pj went to the Lehman Trilogy to its opening night in Chicago. The Lehman Trilogy won uh, the Tony Award for Best Play in, the, in 2022. Mm-hmm. It is about the infamous Lehman Brothers, the ones who, uh, the, if you think back to 2008 and the big housing bubble, uh, housing bubble collapse in yeah. the U.S., the Lehman Brothers were a big name at that time. This tells in um, – in three acts, which were apparently three originally three one act plays, mm-hmm. um, it tells the story and of of the brothers and basically the company's rise and fall. It follows the brothers and then their children and then and then to the end of an era, and uh, it begins in 1840 ish. In wow. the 1840s, somewhere, with um, with the first of the of uh, the Lehmans arriving in uh, arriving in America, and it's it was all done with just three actors. Oh, that's amazing! These three actors do all these parts, and there's a it's really a it's very interesting because to me it's almost like a dramatic reading because there are these long monologues and there are a lot of right. descriptions um, of what's going on, almost like they're reading the stage directions instead of, instead of actually performing it. But as I understand it, this, this is the way the original show was done too. Um, and it was, they're 
as a theater per as a community theater yeah. uh, performer, I can say I'd probably give it an eight and a half out of ten. Wow, because the script's very good. Yeah, the actors were amazing, but there were times when they flubbed the lines. You know, there there were there was there was only one time when literally the, um, one of the actors stopped and said line. You know, uh, but that's okay. But it yeah. was kind of it, it was kind of fun to realize that we were going on opening night because at one point PJ is looking around the theater. He looks behind him and he says, and "He says, I wonder if that's uh, if if that's for the hearing impaired or something." And he turn, I turn around and look at these, you know, he sees these people with uh, laptops sitting there. I said, "No, those are reviewers." Mm. He said, "Really?" I said, "It's opening." I said, "Well, yeah. it's opening night. That's usually when they review." But we didn't know, we didn't know until we got there until we heard somebody say yeah it's opening night and I'm like holy moly so you said it's opening a, night opening night it's opening, opening night, night. <laughs> but it was it was a very good show um, if you ever get a chance to at least see the script um, or or see a performance of it go to, I recommend it um, I yes. recommend going to it if you. Know, uh, granted, you know, I had a okay. I had a bad experience with the latest version, with the latest revival of 1776, because they tried to make it. They tried to take a show from 1969 and make it into Hamilton, yeah, um, yeah. and it just it doesn't work because you know the well because Hamilton Hamilton's got a lot more music in it than than musicals of 1969 did. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, for sure. So, but this. Being being uh, what they call a straight play, as in not a musical, yeah. and I'll never understand why they ever would use the word straight in something to do with drama, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but they were they have uh, it's it it's really good. It's also the only show in our in the Broadway and Chicago package for the fall season that isn't a musical. So wow. It's going to be fun. Yeah. So, so it was fine. Um, and then this weekend I am looking forward to my birthday. So that was kind of part of my, Bizarre. my birthday celebration was Very to nice. see it was to see a really cool play on opening night. Yeah. That's fantastic. And All with right. that, I believe that we have, that, that we have reached the end of our time with the time machine. Yes, yes. So we will uh, uh, we will turn on the machine that takes us out of these things. Listen to the people that say but, the stuff. But wait, oh. isn't that H.G. Wells going past us the other direction? Oh my goodness! That mean you know what that means? That means the next episode we should probably do do that uh, 1979 classic by written and directed by Nicholas Meyer, Time After Time. Yay! H.G. Wells pursuing Jack the Ripper. Thanks for joining us as we watch this space guests of the show dine at Halfways, the restaurant in the middle of the universe where even the food is half-assed. You can write to us at watchthisspacemail at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at watchthis underscore space underscore SF or scrawl your message in graffiti on any spaceship in the Halfways parking deck. <laughs> <laughs>